These guys are seasoned fishermen in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in this little rinky-dink boat, and it's storming like crazy. But there's one thing that's different. Did you catch it? Jesus is in the boat! And let me tell you, you can face those test results if Jesus is in the boat. You can face those hard circumstances at school or at work because Jesus is in the boat. You can face anything in this world if Jesus is in the boat. Hey, it's Charlie. Thanks for listening to the Encouragers United Podcast. The following is a short sermon clip from a message that I recently preached at Walnut Creek Mennonite Church in beautiful Holmes County, Ohio. For more information about the church and our ministry, please feel free to search for us on Facebook or Instagram or go to our website, wcmenn.org. Following Jesus is not easy, and it reminded me of a wonderful quote from a movie. Owen always gets excited when I do this. How about this? In 19, oh, I think it was about 1992, a wonderful movie with Tom Hanks and Gina Davis, A League of Their Own. Everybody might remember this movie. Jimmy Dugan, a washed-up, alcoholic, down-and-out coach of a women's baseball team during World War II. It's loosely based on a true story. And Gina Davis's character, Dottie, has been a standout player for the team. But at one point in the season, she decides to quit. And when Jimmy, the coach, confronts her with this outside her front stoop as she's packing the car ready to leave, he inquires with her, where are you going? What are you doing? Why are you leaving? And Dottie simply replies, it's hard. Hard, Jimmy retorts. It's supposed to be hard. It's the hard that makes it great. I love that scene. That's the two characters, of course, from that wonderful work of art, that movie. These next few verses in chapter 8 record an interlude, a narrative, a dialogue, an interlude about discipleship, about what it really means to follow Jesus. And I want to tell you today that it's hard. Yes, it's hard. It's hard to follow Jesus, but it's the hard that makes it so great. Matthew creates this interlude in between these records of healings to talk about and to allow Jesus to teach us about what it means to follow him. And we this morning will get our window into the heart of God. Because when we observe Jesus, when we see and hear what he did, we are seeing the very words and actions of God. You notice that I'm using the phrase, a follower of Jesus. And I'm not actually using today, I'll try to to watch my words, because I'm not saying being a Christian. Because unfortunately in our world today, being a Christian means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And I'm emphasizing the phrase, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus this morning. Being a citizen of his kingdom. Being a subject under his lordship. And it no doubt requires and includes faith. The cost of being a follower of Jesus sometimes requires of us a faith that requires us to act, that compels us to do something. But I might suggest to you today that sometimes following Jesus would require us a faith to wait, especially when we need to wait upon Him 
And so I simply ask us this question. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And in this first section, this first section, it's verses 18 through 22 in Matthew chapter 8. We're looking at two people particularly, and then the disciples in a later second story that I'll cover, where there is a faith to act. We're looking at two conversations with a couple outsiders, people who are not yet followers, not yet part of the inside. They're not disciples of Jesus. I want us to be reminded this morning that when we're a follower of Jesus, it means we're led by the Holy Spirit. We are Spirit-led. We think in today's world that bigger and faster and stronger and better, more money, more influence, more whatever is always best. Sometimes even in our churches we get caught in that trap. We can't be led by our emotions or our own logic or what the worldly wisdom would suggest to us. You see, the crowds are forming around Jesus. He just performed these miraculous signs, these healings, these cleansings. The Holy Spirit leads them to move on. Let's look at that first verse. And I just couldn't stop, right? I couldn't help myself. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Okay, time out. We have to stop. We, we can't just blow past this, right? What are you doing, Jesus? Like, what are we supposed to... I thought you wanted to profess your kingdom and you wanted to talk to people and you did that great teaching and why wouldn't you want these crowds just... that they're right here, right? But he says, no, we're, we're, we're taking off. We're, time to go. We're going to go. Did, did you catch that? It's, I found that very interesting. The crowds are forming around Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads them to leave. Because Jesus is Spirit-led. He is doing the will of His Father. And this is going to be difficult sometimes for us. Because we sometimes, okay, following Jesus requires a faith that doesn't make sense to the world. People are saying, okay, the disciples, okay, time out, wait a minute. Why, why, why are we, why are, where are we going? The people are right here. Maybe the disciples saw this and they even questioned him. Okay, why are we leaving? But before they can even get away to the boat, a teacher of the law, sometimes called a scribe in, in some other translations, came to him and said, teacher, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you go. And it's very important to know that this is just not any ordinary person from the crowd. Okay? Note that, that this is a teacher of the law. Not like the law as in the government, like a lawyer or something that we might think of today. He, no, this is, this is a religious teacher. This is an expert in the law of Moses. This guy knew the expectations and the rules of a life following the law. Like our Old Testament books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch it's sometimes called. He's a pretty high-level guy. That's, that's cool because this is one of the instances in Scripture where you see that one of them actually wanted to follow Jesus. Because what we're going to see in the rest of this Matthew account is that normally Jesus didn't get along with these people very well. He has some very difficult things to say, and this is no different. Take a look at verse 20 with me. He says, foxes have their dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And although we can't exactly know what this man's heart was, Jesus did. And Jesus basically tells him, hold on, stop right there. This crowd may look really cool and this may look like it's something that's, you know, starting to form. You may think that this is going to be a great ride hopping on my coattails like this. You might be trying to jump on, but you better count the costs. 
Because here's the deal. We're not going to know where our next meals are coming from. We may not even know where we're going to stay tonight. I want you to fully understand what it means to follow me. This is not going to be a stay at the Ritz-Carlton, so to speak. From one day to another, I will do my Father's will. And from day one, he really didn't know where he was going to stay. Remember a stable in Bethlehem? (laughs) From day one, he's been living this way. And we are going to actually live what we just got through teaching. Not storing up treasures on earth. Not worrying about what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear. And if that's what you're up for, because even foxes have a place to lay at night, they make it, they make a den. Even the birds make their own nest and they have a home to go to, but not me and not us. And you're going to have to go into this with your eyes wide open. No surprises here. This life of following me is about walking in faith every single day. Walking and following Jesus requires a faith to trust God day by day, every single day. And that's an active trust. It's an active day-to-day. You see, many in our U.S., our modern day, our culture, the world can tempt us to take the faith out of our days. Think of it that way. We We prioritize our own sufficiency. Maybe we're like the scribe, this expert in the law. We've learned to rely on ourselves. I can do this. Our own skill set. We've begun to trust in ourselves rather than God. It's quite remarkable that this teacher would regard Jesus so highly in the first place because Jesus wasn't educated at the best schools. He didn't come from the greatest, you know, town. He's not an insider from Jerusalem. But this man says, I want in. I want to be your follower. And Jesus rocks his world with a comment that says, I don't know about this. Uncertainty? You guys don't like that. Toil? Homelessness? Hunger? I don't know if you can handle it. It's not going to be like being a teacher of the law. And at some point in this world, we're tempted to stop taking chances, aren't we? We stop walking by faith. We we start walking by sight. And the sight of these crowds and the miracles that this gentleman has just uh, evidenced is is what's attracting him, I'm afraid. And Jesus reminds us here that the crowds are not what it's about. Lord, help us to get back to the simplicity to trust him every day. In every way. But yet, before they can even get in the boat, another person comes. This person is a follower. You note the language here? A disciple came. Said, Lord, let me go and bury my father. Oh boy. But I want you to know that that phrase, bury my father, isn't quite what it means to you and I. And in this culture, that phrase often means... Not like my dad's dead and I need to literally go dig a hole and put him in the ground as a funeral. That's what you and I think of. But in their culture, bury my father meant a season of life. Really, you can read this commentary. It was very educational for me to understand that what this person is actually saying is, let me finish when my dad's dead, then my affairs will be freed up to be able to go and be loyal to you. I'm loyal to my dad. I'm loyal to my family. Let me bury my father then I can come follow you. Does that make sense? It's an interesting dynamic. In our culture, we immediately jump to some conclusions that Jesus is about to respond here because I think we realize what he's saying, right? He says, no, follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. Yikes! Ouch! (laughs) Well, wait a minute, Lord. Seems a little harsh, doesn't it? 
But I want you to know that no one who's written or studied this believes that we can't go to our parents' funerals. (laughs) That's not what he's talking about. Jesus is simply saying that his followers are not consumed with the same things that motivate the people in the world. Like this season of life where I'm going to wait until my father passes on and then I become the head of the household and then I'll follow you, Lord. Like that's when this works, right? I'll just do it then. Jesus said, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. It's kind of like this person saying, I'm too busy to serve you right now. But once I get things settled and things straightened out, then I'll have time and and I can get to it. Like sometimes we think we're going to just come to church on Sundays. Lord, I'll give you that. I can do that. And okay, they got this Wednesday thing. I'll come and I'll be a part of that too. Wednesdays, Sundays, but that's what we have to give, Lord. Like, okay, two four-hour blocks of my life, that's what I'll give you. Really? The Lord of Lords and the Savior Jesus Christ calls you and you need to think about it? Like, do you have anything that could be more important than that? And ultimately what I want you to see is that following Jesus requires us of faith to obey God immediately. We call that quick obedience. And when God tells you to do something, you do it. Right? Isn't that really what Peter and James and John, his brother Andrew, isn't that what we read back in chapter 4? Oh, so long ago. (laughs) What did Jesus say to them? He said, come, follow me. And I'll send you out to fish for people. And what did they do? Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. James and John, or even uh, later in in chapter 4, he says, And immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. It's as if Jesus knows that we're going to get fixated on the wrong things. We're going to get fixated on the things of the world. Things that serve as convenient excuses to following Jesus and really doing what he wants us to do. Every single day. Remember that powerful statement he made at the end, near the end of his sermon? Seek first the kingdom of God and and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. It's easy to look at our lives this morning and say, yeah, it's this is all that there is. This is my little kingdom, my little day. I've got my schedule, I've got my house and, you know, whatever. My plans and my processes. And Jesus is going to challenge you in that. He wants you to have God's purposes, God's plans, and God's processes. Amen? And that's hard. But it's the hard that makes it great. Right? Right, let's keep moving here. This second conversation. We've seen conversations with those sort of on the outside looking in. And now we're going to see some conversations that are very powerful from those on the inside. Because sometimes God's requirement of us will cause us to wait. It will require us to wait. We're about to see a conversation with those on the inside, his own disciples. Pick it up with me here in chapter 8, verse 23. He got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. And here we go. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. I found this marvelous picture in that at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, there was a boat that was exhumed, so to speak. This is one of the only known relics from the time of Christ. It's been dated approximately during that time. And so what you can see is the rude, rough construction of a boat like this. In fact, the one that 
that the disciples are in is probably a little bit bigger than this one to hold ever uh, 12, 13 people. The Sea of Galilee, a major body of water in the region, is only 13 miles long and about 7 miles wide. It's actually fresh water. It was a major source of food and travel and commerce, and it was a great way to travel around the region. It's surrounded by mountains and hills, however, and that means storms and winds can pop up real quickly without a warning, especially in Jesus' time. So I want you to think about this. These guys are following Jesus. They left the comfort of the crowds and the excitement of all of these uh, miracles and the, and the, the neat conversations that they're having, and they're trying to get across this body of water. And they're not newbies either. They're not like what you and I would be in this boat, right? Maybe pulling an oar, trying to get across. No, these guys are seasoned fishermen, most of them. They know about this water. They've been in this water. I want you to think about this. They do know this body of water very well. And they know that they're in trouble. They respect this water. They know how deep it is. They may have even known people who died this just this very way. Right? And the disciples go and they shake him. They wake him. And they say, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And the other gospel writers that, that have recorded this, they, they say that the, the, the people say, don't you care? That's a little forward. Matthew didn't record it that way, but Lord, save us. We're going to drown. You know, there's certain situations where you and I get afraid. And there's fear that is real. And there's fear that is kind of like, okay, really? Are you really afraid? Like I found this little video floating around the internet where there, it's this poor little kid. He's probably, you know, two or three years old. And he's hanging onto this bar in the river. Like he's, and he's just screaming his head off. Have you seen this? Ah, he's just scared. He's just, ah, I'm going to die. And he's hanging onto this thing for dear life. And his mom comes up and just kind of puts his feet down. And he goes, oh, and the water's about this deep on the little guy. Like, yeah, like you were, you were terrified. And like, you, they're so funny. You're just like, and the kid goes, oh. Yeah, like he was so like just terrified that he was going to die. And then all of a sudden, whoop, you know, and the water's only this deep. That's not like this situation. This situation is not like that. Okay? This is dire. This is the real deal. These guys are going to die in this storm. There's water coming in the boat. Jesus is sleeping through it all? Seems kind of weird, doesn't it? I mean, I, I guess he's really tired. And they wake him and he says these powerful words. Listen to the conversation. Look at, think about with your mind's eye with me. Oh, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? And he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. We all love this story. We know this story better than some of our other stories in life, right? We've studied it our whole lives. But I believe that Jesus actually isn't being cruel here. He's simply asking them to face their fear. Why are you so afraid? I don't think that's a rhetorical question. Sometimes you ask a rhetorical question like, I don't want your answer. I just want you to think about it. But I think these guys are in training. Think about this. They're disciples. They're pretty new to this whole game. And he's training them. This is a training opportunity. The whole grand thing. And he looks at them and says, why are you so afraid? Because we're going to drown. <laughs> That's why I'm afraid. He's not trying to be cruel, though. 
But I believe He's training them to be patient in their affliction. Of course you'd be afraid. Of course, if you're one of these guys. These are seasoned fishermen. They were afraid. He's not chastising them as much as He's trying to train them. He knows every one of us has our buttons. I have my buttons. You have your buttons. We have our fears. Some of us, it's what other people think of us. Ah, I'm so sensitive. Ah, what this person thinks of me. Ah, that's my button. Some of us, it's our finances. Some of us, it's our other relationships. Mark Twain once said that courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the mastery of it. You've heard that in other different versions, but I want you to think about that. Courage is not the absence of something dangerous. Like, oh, <laughs> no, it's the mastery of your emotion of fear when it's dangerous. Wow. Because here's the one factor that's different for these guys. These guys are seasoned fishermen in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in this little rinky-dink boat, and it's storming like crazy. But there's one thing that's different. Did you catch it? Jesus is in the boat! Hallelujah! Because I'll tell you what, he's saying, why are you afraid? And then he displays that power. He displays who he really is. This situation is different from their previous issues or their previous storms. And let me tell you, many people today know storms. Many people today know problems and struggles and fear. But this situation is different. These are already followers of our Lord Jesus. And this trip challenges them to face their fears. Like, if this previous stuff back here was like Discipleship 101. We went through that chapters 5, 6, 7. Okay, yep, I'm taking notes. I'm good. I got that. I got this. I got this. But this is like 201 or 301 or like graduate level discipleship. He's training and developing them for the endurance and fortitude that they, would that they would have to have in forming the whole church. And he challenges them to see the storms, to see this danger through the eyes of faith, rather than the eyes of fear. It's not the absence of danger that creates courage, but how is he really helping them and teaching them through this? In all their experiences, Jesus is now in the boat. That's the difference. You can face this storm, sure, but with faith in the one who's in the boat with you. Not on your own strength. And the questions in my life will begin to change. It's not about, am I going to make it through this danger? It's not about, am I going to survive cancer? It's not going to be, am I going to overcome this loneliness or this depression or anxiety? The storms of my life. Because the question changes. If Jesus is in your boat, you can face those test results if Jesus is in the boat. You can face those hard circumstances at school or at work because Jesus is in the boat. You can face anything in this world if Jesus is in the boat. But here's the toughest part of this, the hard that makes it great, is that these guys had no control whatsoever. No control. Like maybe they were all trying to row or whatever they're doing. But they're losing the battle. It's over. They don't have control. So what did they have to do? They had to wait. That's the crux of the faith that compels us to wait on God 
and trust that he's in the boat. You see, because our fear is so closely related to unbelief. I want you to think about that this morning. Fear is so closely related to unbelief. Our faith grows and we begin to unseat or to disrupt that fear. And we invite him to rule and to reign in our hearts and our souls and all our lives day to day. We trust even when we don't have control because Jesus is in the boat. And that's not something that you can just do. I'm sorry. He does it for you. Right? We can shake him. He's, he's big enough. He can handle that. Wake him up. You wake him up, Mom, in the middle of the night. You're stressing about something. Wake him up. You wake him up, Dad, in the middle of your work day and things are just falling apart all around you. We're going to die, Lord. Save us. What are you afraid of? It's a transformational question. And he wants you to see everything in your life through these, not through your own natural eyesight, but through your faith. Not your own natural eyesight that leads you to fear, but through these new eyes of faith in the one who's in the boat. Can you imagine the change that this would bring to just not you and me, but to our community and to the whole world if we might bear together corporately to live that way? What a vision. Because here's the best part. Because you don't think these guys are just like you and me? They still are asking the wrong questions. Look at what they said. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. All that we've seen, all that we've heard, all that we've been through. And now this? What kind of man is this? They were amazed. Amazed. Even the winds and the waves obey him. Yes, I'm glad you asked, fellas. We're making progress here. Because I want to show you who I am. I want to prove to you who I am. I'm faithful. I love you. I'm going to be with you. And maybe some verses from their childhood started to come back to them. Hmm. Oh, man. They got to the shore and they started saying, Do you remember in the Psalms of David? Number 65, I think it was. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. Who stilled the roaring seas and the roaring of their waves and the turmoil of the nations. It's Him. It is really Him. Oh man, how about Psalm 89? I remember this one. You said, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. Who's that? I've sworn, David, my servant, I will establish your line forever and make you throne firm through all generations. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Powerful, powerful picture. Do you think that this actually changes these guys? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It actually does change them. Because remember what I said. He's preparing them to go and do what they were called and ordained to do. God-ordained purpose. What is Peter and John's ordained God, uh, God-sized purpose? Well, we know their future. You remember this little story? After... Jesus is gone, buried, resurrected. They end up in Acts 4, walking through, going to the temple, just hanging out, having my day. And the, the lame man says, help me. Can I have some money? And I love this. You love the story, right? They go, well, uh, sorry, we don't have any money. But what I do have, I'll give to you. How about you hop up and you start walking? And he does. 
And guess what? Love this phrase. No good deed is going to go unpunished. Right? Because these two are hauled in in front of the same people, the same exact people, who convicted, killed, called Jesus a blasphemer. And here they are. And they're caught the next day. The rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law. Oh yeah, met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there. Caiaphas, John, Alexander. These are all the same people that they just knew. And they see exactly what they're going to do to Jesus. They saw it. In fact, they were so scared that they ran when that happened. And here they stand in front of these people. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. What's going to happen? What do you think they're going to do? If you know this story, you can go back to it this week and read it. It's fascinating. They say, don't do this. How did you do this? Peter says, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, by the way. Rulers and elders of the people. If we're being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, or being asked how he was healed, let me tell you how he was healed. Because this isn't about me, right? Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified. God raised him from the dead. It's by that name that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is that stone that you builders rejected. He's ready to die. He's telling them like it is, isn't he? And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had indeed been with Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. That you and I would be taking notes, the world would be taking notes that you have been with Jesus. Put that pipe, put that in your pipe, Take that check to the bank, right? I want to be, I want it to be noted that I've been with Jesus. So they go back to their own little holy huddle. So they call him back and they say, command you not to speak in the name of this Jesus character ever again. Or else. Or else what? What are you going to do? Peter has a very gracious and wonderful response. He says, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. But as for us, we will not help speaking about what we've seen and heard. We will not stop talking about what we've seen and heard. Oh, what a beautiful picture. The fortitude, the courage, the wherewithal, this, the Holy Spirit leading that was formed in the boat, in the storm. And in that fire, you and I are forged for what God has purposed in our life. Oh, and I don't care how old you are, as young as you are, as old as you are, that never stops. That never stops. We are disciples of the Most High God through Jesus. We're so good at looking at this world through our own natural eyes, aren't we? We walk right out of this door and we start assessing it from the other standard. We start looking at it through the eyes of fear. The hardest part about all this is that I look around and assess, and there's a lot of things in this world that are scary. Just plain fearful. The world is tearing itself apart in some places. People are hungry. They're hurting. They're displaced from their homes. There's war. There's fighting. There's arguing about things that just don't matter. It grips us in fear. Sometimes it does. If we continue to see these circumstances only through our own eyes, only through the eyes of this world, in our own strength, 
in our own wits, in our own skill, in whatever we can muster up on our own, we're going to be end up, we're going to end up consumed by fear. Because I don't know about you. I know me. I get up every morning and look me in the face. I know me. I don't trust me. I trust him. And I know it's hard. But it's the hard that makes it great. And Jesus is in the boat. And your eyes of faith can begin to develop. And you will indeed see everything differently. It is truly the faith to act and the faith to wait. You see, John Ortberg, a wonderful author, has said it this way. Peace is not the absence of the storms on the water, but rather having Jesus in the boat. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown, where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery, an ocean deep, my faith will
that is becoming increasingly sad, depressed and hopeless, individuals with great hope are needed now more than ever. These inspirational leaders come in the form of teachers, pastors, coaches and mentors. They possess a deep abiding faith, an enthusiastic hope, and a passion to build others up. We are the encouragers, and these are our stories. Join Charlie Grimes each week, as he meets new people, learns their stories, and inspires you to make a difference, in the lives of others. We want you to learn how to, start where you are, take what you have, and do what you can. Subscribe now and you'll never miss an episode of the Encouragers United Podcast.